Doc and I had made a deal. The sole arrangement was that he was to cook. Yeah, the asshole could cook too. And I was to wash the dishes and keep the place clean. It worked for about two weeks. Before coming to Nashville and accepting the conditions of rooming with Doc, I had been a loner. For six or seven years, I had lived alone, eaten alone, and written alone. Now, here was Doc Holliday, cruising into the apartment every evening with a pint of whiskey and a nervous disposition from fighting with booking agents all day. He would come home in the evenings and have to listen to whatever I wrote. He would sit on the floor of the apartment with his bottle between his legs and drink the whole bottle. I would sing him a few tunes that I had written that day, and he would nod and pat his foot depending on the tempo. Doc wasn't much of a critic, though. He pretended to like everything. Just stared his glass and nod, not positive or negative, just nod. He didn't offer me a lot of encouragement. I guess Doc had spent dozens of years sitting and listening to the songs of hopeful songwriters. After a few years of this, you become numb and tone deaf. Doc had somehow come across the oldest typewriter in the world. You can use it, he said. It worked. I had bought an old typewriter stand somewhere. I put my old portable tape recorder on one side of the typewriter stand and the ancient typewriter on the other. Using a couple of screws and a kitchen knife, I fastened my microphone onto the remaining space. With this getup, I could type the lyric, pick the guitar, and record the song without moving from where I was seated. It was during this period that I really got down to some serious writing. I was a real nut in those days. I would get up in the morning and do my army exercises. Doc weighed around 250 pounds at the time, a fat guy. But he looked comfortable being fat. He laughed fat, walked fat, and thought fat. He was one of those people who are supposed to be fat. But because he was, my exercising drove him nuts. He said over and over, man, you are a fucking creature of habit. I was. Doc was too. He would always bring the bottle. He would always put his hand up against the wall and lean stiff-armed against the wall over the commode. I would have to clean the handprints off the wall because we had agreed he would cook and I would clean. I could not have found a less sympathetic partner. But I've often wondered why I didn't get more ideas for songs from Doc. He had worked as a pitchman in a carnival, and he could talk carny. It's a language that they use to communicate when the police or other nosies are around. It's a simple language to get the hang of. The trick is to place the word ears after the first letter of the word and use that as the first syllable. For instance, lamp becomes leersamp. Car becomes Kearsar. There was a time I could do it pretty well when Doc and I were out roaring, but it goes away if you don't use it a lot. Finally, I got a chance to get out of the routine and even out of Nashville for a short time. I was about to make my first trip to New York City. Dave Dudley was part of a package show that was to include Hank Snow, Kitty Wells, Kenny Price, and Flatten Scruggs. Doc told me to leave the keys to my car and he would keep the motor warmed up from time to time. He had to put a set of spark plugs in it for me, so I felt obligated to let him be the automotive expert. Dave and I got to New York somehow, I don't remember, and we all rendezvoused in the Big Apple at the old Astor Hotel where we had several rooms. I was playing piano for Dudley. We only had a 15-minute set and people were hustled on and off stage with such dispatch that the only real work was all the waiting we had to do. Flatten Scruggs spent most of the backstage time playing poker. It was nickel and dime stuff, and outsiders were not invited to sit in. It was a game that had been going on in the group for 10 or 15 years. Kitty Wells' husband, Johnny Wright, was busy making arrangements for a new bus. 
Hank Snow was busy promoting a new girl singer he had discovered. That's what he and the rest of us called them in those days, girl singers. Elegance and inclusion were not hallmarks of our vocabularies. As for me, I was busy learning that a town in the USA could beat Nashville for disturbed people. This town had its own brand of the English language to prove it. You see, New Yorkers had a nice, healthy attitude about rudeness. If you wanted to argue and threaten one another, you fit right in. If you make any pretense of politeness, I'd scared the hell out of them. Politeness? Are you for real, fella? So I was busy learning how to pronounce coffee, coffee, and sausage, sausage. Pay attention, we're about to order breakfast. Egg, sausage, and coffee, goddammit. They love it. You're one of the gang. But let's work on lunch or we'll be here for two weeks and never get anything for breakfast. First, find out who is mayor of New York.